Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. It's a pretty straightforward message. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the essence of the gospel. That's it. That Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and Paul goes on to record that he was seen. He was witnessed. Eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive again. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. He had a physical body. He physically was raised from the grave. And so on that first resurrection Sunday, when the followers of Christ made their way to that tomb, and they found it open. They did not realize the fullness of what was going on. We find that as the moments unfurled and as the time passed and as things became more clear to them and Jesus was there and spoke to them and taught them and gave them a deeper understanding, it was only then they really grasped the fullness of what was going on, but it might even be argued that even then, they might not have seen the fullness that we see from Scripture even now. Because it wasn't just someone being brought back to life. It wasn't that they just received a friend or a teacher back from the dead. It, it wasn't even just, although a very key portion, a very key part. It wasn't just that our sins were forgiven, but we're talking about the entire trajectory of creation shifted. Were all those other things true? Absolutely. But everything about creation shifted from the cross to the grave and then that empty tomb. Things changed. Because we were out of communion with God. We were completely separated from God. And the trajectory changes. And it changes because of the cross. It changes because of the tomb. It changes because of an occupied cross. It changes because of a vacant tomb. The trajectory of creation Everything about the universe changes. It hinges upon those three days. Well, how did the trajectory get off course to begin with? Well, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. You go back to the beginning, you see how it got off course. God created all things. 
spoke the universe into existence, made humans as his own special creation, crafted them, designed them, made them by hand, breathed his own breath of life into them. And we find that God had some stipulations. He said, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, Adam and Eve, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. And we know they did. And because of that, sin enters into the world. It doesn't just impact and change our separation or our unity with God, which creates a separation because of sin, but the entire universe was plunged into the darkness of sin. That one act reverberated throughout the cosmos, and it's still, still going on today because we're born into sin. And it's interesting what the Bible says. To ensure this separation, we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east end of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve have gone from life to death. That's, that's the key part of the message of the gospel. Our problem is our sin. Our spiritual death that we are living in without Christ. And we have been separated from God just as certainly and just as surely as those angels, those cherubim guarded the entrance to the garden. So too, we are separated from God by our sin. The Bible is very clear about that. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah speaking to the people there of God, and he is letting them know. And the same applies to us. Our iniquities have made a separation between us and God. Because there is death that has come from life, the life that we had with God. The life that we had where we were united with God. The life that we had where there was communion with God. There in the garden, in Adam and Eve, that has been broken. And now we are spiritually dead. I had someone tell me one time, God told Adam and Eve, in that day you will surely die. They ate of that fruit. They weren't dead. No, they began to die physically. But in that moment, rest assured, they were dead spiritually. They were separated from a life with God. And the same is true for each one of us without Christ. That's what the Bible tells us, Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not sick, not a little bad off, not limping a little bit. No, dead, dead. We couldn't do anything. We, 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 were, we were unresponsive. We were dead. And so God, you find, we've been separated from him because of sin. And because of that separation, we have now death. We have a spiritual death that takes place within us. And the gospel points that out, that Jesus died for our sins. There's the first little indication of this back in the story in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we find that God made coverings for Adam and Eve out of the skins of animals. 
Who made the coverings? God. What were the coverings made from? Animals. That means something had to die. Something died to cover their sin. An animal shed its blood in order to cover the sin of humanity. There was a sacrifice. There was a life for life type of arrangement that took place there. This life for life that takes place there in the garden where God sacrifices those animals to cover the sin of Adam and Eve plays out all throughout the Bible. Again, we see life for life. We see life for life in the sacrificial system there in the Old Testament where God said, build me a tabernacle, build me a tent. A place where you could go and you can worship me and you will sacrifice animals to me because you have to shed blood and that blood will cover the sin. The wages of sin is death and the life is in the blood. And so therefore, if the penalty for sin is death and the life is in the blood, then shedding blood is the way that sin is covered. And that's what we find. Again and again, all through the Old Testament, animals are shed, or animals' blood are shed. They're shed in the tabernacle. They, the blood is shed in the temple later. And we find that that separation is still there because there's this place inside the tabernacle. There's this place inside the temple called the most holy place or the holy of holies. It's where the high priest would go just that one day out of the year and he would make atonement for the people. He would sacrifice a blood sacrifice for the people. And there was a veil. Now don't think about it like a, a bridal veil, really thin and gauzy. No, no, no. This was a thick woven curtain. And we find that inside that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. It was that golden chest with a golden lid. And, and inside we find things that remind Israel of God's faithfulness and God's holiness. We found the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments in there. There was a little pot of manna that sustained them in the wilderness that was in there. There was Aaron's rod that he carried that that budded out little buds as a miraculous indication that Aaron was the one who would be the priest. And all those things were inside the ark. But you find that the priest would go in and offer sacrifices and he would sprinkle the blood on the lid of that ark, on the mercy seat. And we find it described when God was telling how this was to be constructed in Exodus 25, verse 19. He says, make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end and of the peace with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim, these angels, shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces toward one another, toward the mercy seat, shall their faces of the cherubim be. So we find that those angels, just like the cherubim, were there outside of the, the garden, guarding the way, the entrance to the garden. We find that there are now cherubim who were there on this Ark of the Covenant, but not only that, they're also depicted on that veil, that thick, heavy curtain that separated God's presence from the people. 
Exodus 26, 31, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. Just like Eden. Just like Eden, the cherubim are there again guarding the entrance into the presence of God. Because there's a separation. There's a separation between us and him. There was a separation between Adam and Eve and him because of sin. There's a separation there in the temple and in the tabernacle between everybody and God except for the high priest who could go in kind of as the go-between, the mediator between. There's this life for life with the lamb, with the sacrificial animals. And we've been singing about this. We've been talking about this all this morning. That's what Jesus did. He was that life for life. He gave his life for our life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a life for life arrangement. And Jesus on the cross was forsaken. He took the full penalty, the full wrath of our sin upon himself. This is why we find in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the full brunt of the wrath of his father upon himself in our place. We should have been the lamb. We should have been on the cross. It should have been our blood. But there was a life-for-life life arrangement that Jesus, Jesus showed. You find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, he took our wrath and gave us his righteousness. He took our penalty and he gave us this freedom that is found. We are declared righteous before God? Wait, what? God looks at us and he sees his son because he sees us through the blood? Yes, yes. That's the life for life that we find in the Bible. And you know that separation? The separation that took place there outside of Eden, the separation that took place with the most holy place being blocked off from everyone. When Jesus dies, we find in Mark chapter 15, verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You see what that means? No more separation. I like to think that maybe sanctified imagination I don't have any definitive proof of this but I like to think that maybe there were it says there were cherubim on there maybe there were two cherubim facing each other just like on the ark maybe they were there on the on that veil in the same way and maybe that split occurred right between them so now the angels that once guarded the way and said you can't enter now say come on in Welcome. The ones that said no further are now saying go further. The ones that said you can't come in here 
only, this is for the holy presence of God, now would say, you bear his righteousness. Enter in. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. The writer of Hebrews is drawing a line and he's saying, listen, when the curtain tore, it was like Jesus' body that was torn. And it's through the tearing and the breaking of his body that we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. It's through that breaking of his body by which we can have access to God himself. But not only that, God's got access to us. Because now his spirit, his presence, though his presence is everywhere, absolutely. But now his manifest presence doesn't have to be limited to the most holy place. Now he's unleashed. We can go into him. And now his Holy Spirit comes and indwells all who believe. We don't have to go to one specific place to worship him now. No, we don't have to make a trip to Jerusalem to one specific place to worship him. No, no, no. Now the Lord God of the universe, by the Spirit of God, lives within each person who is a follower of Christ. There's a life-for-life arrangement. And that life-for-life arrives on the heels of life that led to death. And so there's now a life-for-life arrangement. And then we get to the tomb. We go all the way back around to the tomb. And you have the followers of Jesus showing up there on that resurrection Sunday. And they're showing up and they're expecting to find a dead Jesus. They're expecting to find a body in the tomb so they can further the anointing and, and put more spices on his body. And they get there and it's open. And they get there and there's no body. And we find these words in John chapter 20. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Here are two more angels standing watch over a place where the presence of God had resided, except this time. He's not there. And the angels are there, one at the head and one at the foot, one at one end and one at the other. Just like the lid of the Ark of the Covenant with one cherubim at one end and one at the other, and the presence of God would dwell between them. And now here are these two angels saying, He's not here, He's risen, He's out and about. You were coming to expect to find a, a, a dead person but he's not a dead messiah he's the risen messiah we're just here to let you know that he's not he's not here we have gone from life to death and then by the arrangement of jesus with life for life we find that that trajectory of the universe has been turned and now we find from death to life. We have gone from death to life because Jesus is risen. 
Romans chapter 4 verse 25 tells us this. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justification is just as if you have never sinned, if you want to get right down to it. He's raised for our trespasses, or he's raised for our justification. He died for our trespasses. That's what the Bible tells us. He was delivered up. So get this. Do you know what the cross says? The cross says, forgiven. The grave says, righteous. The cross said, I, I will remember your sins no more. And the empty tomb says, and I'm going to declare you eternally righteous before God. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And we are justified because of that empty tomb. He was raised for our justification. What does this mean? This means we have access to God because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. Meaning that when God looks upon you as a follower of Christ, he sees the same righteousness that his own son has. I know that's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to me. That's what he gives us. It's not just, I'm forgetting your sins. I'm forgiving you of your sins, but you better watch out because I'm going to be watching you and I'm going to be remembering every nasty, filthy thing that you do from here on out. No, he says... I've given you the righteousness of my son, and therefore you have access to me. This is what Ephesians 2.18 tells us. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've gone from being sinners to saints. We've gone from being exiles to being reunited with God. We've gone from being enemies to being reconciled to God. We've gone from being outcasts to being family members of the household of God with the same righteous standing that Jesus himself has. That's what we've been given. That's what the empty tomb declares. That's what Resurrection Sunday says. But not just that. Not just that. When you think about the depth of his love, where we were, flashback to post-Eden. We've gone from life to death. We are spiritually dead before God. Notice Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We've been saved. We've been saved by the grace of God. By the blood of Christ, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. When somebody comes to me and says, oh, I don't think God can forgive me. I've done this and this and this. Okay. Yeah, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. God can forgive. Oh, I can understand how he could forgive this person. But see, but you don't understand. You don't know me as well as I know myself. Can I just tell you, God knows you better than you know yourself. And no matter how bad off you think you are in your sin, can I give you a truth? You are worse off. Because we do not understand how holy God is.
we don't have the right view of our sin because we can't comprehend the fullness of God's holiness. So we don't know the fullness of how utterly depraved we are. So when someone says, oh, but you don't know me. Yeah, but God does. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And yet still, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God loved you to the point that he sent his son to die. And Jesus comes back to life. Do you know what that says? The sacrifice was accepted. It was a once for all done deal sacrifice. Jesus doesn't have to die again. That was it. If you look back throughout all of history, you'll never find something. You're never finding that one of those Passover lambs, after it was sacrificed, came back to life. You didn't find that. They would have to offer another one the next year, and 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 on and on and on and on and on. Jesus laid down his life by his own accord, took it up again, and by being resurrected, showed the sacrifice is done. I don't have to stay dead. I've paid it all. It's finished. It's over. It's paid. And it was fully pleasing to God, my Father, so I don't have to stay dead. So we get to be reunited with God. We get to be reunited with God here and now, if you're a follower of Christ, by His Spirit and by the new life that He gives you. But you know what's coming? What's coming is one day... When we will face to face see God. And the day will come where we are reunited fully with God. With no separation. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel. With the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Don't miss this phrase. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. We will never be separated from him again. We will be in perfect communion with him. And if you go all the way back to Eden, all the way back to when the world was perfect, all the way back to when Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with God, if you rewind all the way back there, you find something very similar mentioned in the last pages of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. Because our Lord God, who is the creator of all things, will one day, I don't know of any other way to say it, he will re-Edenize the universe. It's going to be made perfect again. With no separation, with no pain, with no sorrow. Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Just like in Eden, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's going to walk with you. He's going to be with you. You're going to be with him. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them, will, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Death will be no more. We went from life with God in Adam and Eve in the garden to spiritual death. Through Christ, there is a death for death arrangement. The hinge of history there upon the cross 
And now with that empty tomb, we see life from death. Not only life from death, that we find the death that Jesus died and there is life that he experiences and he is resurrected, but we experience that same transition from spiritual death to spiritual life with him and one day being with him forever. From, from life to death and a life for a life, a life for lives. And now we find we go from death to life. That's the story of Easter. From sin to righteousness, from exile to reunion, to perfect restored fellowship with God forever, and a death to all pain and a death to death itself. Ultimately, we have to understand death's days are numbered. And the day will come when all is set right, when all is restored. And that first resurrection Sunday points toward the day when all things will resonate with the glory and the honor and the power of God. And God will reconcile all things in heaven and earth to himself God will bring all things back to the main point again. And what's the main point? That he receives all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In just a few moments, some of us will be down here, down front. And maybe you want to come pray. Maybe you want to come talk with one of us about a decision that you need to make. Maybe you want to talk about joining the church or being baptized. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about how you can know that you know Christ is Savior. But for just a moment, before we do that, I'd like for us to reflect on the reality of what Jesus did whenever he was raised from the dead and how he showed death, that death had no hold on him. And by extension, as his children who bear his likeness and bear his righteousness, death does not have an ultimate hold on us either.